Hey everyone, and welcome to Taurus Tech Talk. I'm Robert Parsons. This is Corey Church. And today joining us is Mr. Clayton Mills with Highway Marketing. How are you doing? It's good. Thanks for having me out today. Morning. I'm Glad to have you. I'm honored to be on a podcast. This is a first for me, so yeah? take that off the bucket list, right? Boom. First of many. First, <laughs> first of, of many. Right. First first podcast I've ever done. If this done. goes well, you may be lucky. You may be invited back, too. Okay. Well, I'll try to do my best. <laughs> so, uh, Clayton, tell us a little bit about Highway Marketing. Sure. So, uh, Highway Marketing is an independent manufacturer's rep uh, representation firm that works for multiple manufacturers in the audio industry. Uh, we do sales and marketing primarily to um, dealers, whether they be integrators or retail stores, which there aren't as many of these days, but there are some still. Uh, distributors, uh, online resellers, anyone that's reselling the, the authorized product from the manufacturer. So uh, we currently represent 10, I think, maybe 11. We'll have to count. Again, <laughs> manufacturers, um, you know, sure, QSC, Allen & Heath, K&M, Listen Technologies, uh, Radio Design Labs, Focusrite Pro, FSR. It's the test, right? Yeah. If I can get through the line card all the way through. <laughs> yeah, I got pretty. We'll throw it up. Your there. boss is listening. Everybody. Your That's boss right. is listening. Yeah. I don't know that he knows how to do podcasts. We'll have to show oh, him that man. app. Just send him a link. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, so uh, they've been in business for 25 years. I've been with the company a little over 10 years. And we represent uh, the great states of Texas, Oklahoma, Louisiana, and Arkansas. That's our area. They call it the Tola region. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. So. Again, New Mexico always gets... Yeah. Could, could yeah. just call it Talon. It's a really... I mean, seriously. <laughs> I like, it even rolls off the tongue better than Tola. I, I saw Tola written down somewhere a number of years ago, and I was like, I don't understand this. Yeah. And then somebody explained it to me, and I felt uh, very dumb. <laughs> yeah. All right. So um, tell us a little bit about how you got into this career. Um kind of backwards, right? I don't know that it was planned. Um, like many people in the AV industry, I think there's probably a, a path into this industry yeah. that comes out of the dream of being a musician, right? We had somebody on yesterday that, that uh, said the same similar thing. Story. I meet a lot of people. I, I think you know it's what? Probably, he had two gold records. I don't have any gold records. Okay. Well, next time, next time, just I'll say, bring I got one. triple platinum. Just, just, triple, yeah, just say I got two platinum. No. This microphone was used on the best-selling record of all time, the SM7B. Anyone want to venture a guess as what the best? That plug. I know. Anyone want to venture as to what the best-selling record of all time was? Um, is it a Beatles album or Beatles record? No. No. It's, it's be something Michael Jackson. Really? Look at that. Thriller. <clears throat> Friday fun day for Bob. That's right, man. <laughs> Got it. So. Cue um, the thriller music. Wait, no, right. we can't do that. That's that's, that's <laughs> yeah, probably we're, protected we're somehow. Copyright infringement. <laughs> but yeah, so I, I started, uh, you know, I asked my dad for a drum set when I was 11. In his infinite wisdom, he chose to buy me a guitar instead of a drum set, um, thinking that would be much easier. Uh, I showed him because I went and a, uh, mowed a bunch of yards and saved up a bunch of money, and I bought guitar amplifiers. And The my biggest friend, amp you could find. My friend who had drums was soon set up in the garage, and we were playing, and uh, we started trying to figure out ways to plug microphones into things to, you know, so people could sing. Yeah. And that's where it all kind of rolled downhill I'm from visualizing there. Back to the Future, <clears throat> like the opening scene of Back to the Future <laughs> when you're saying this, that massive, yeah. massive PA that he plugs into. Oh, you yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I'm going to Strums the guitar, <clears throat> blows them away. Yeah, um, by massive PA, you mean lots of, like, inexpensive uh, PV amplifiers yeah. that I could buy. <laughs> you know, back in that day, you, you had to get the Dallas Morning News out. And there was a section back in the newspaper. We remember newspapers that people sold things. I'm not yeah. that young. Gosh, I, I remember those. I know. I'm saying maybe for some of our viewers or, <laughs> or listeners. But yeah, um, yeah, there'd be a huge list of, of used musical equipment in there. And I mean, every Sunday I had that paper open. Nice. I just have $100. I wonder what I can buy. Anyway, so downhill story, um, I started doing sound, uh, live sound. And it, through bands I was doing, I started doing recording, trying to figure out ways to record. I bought a four-track recorder in high school. Uh, went to UNT as a jazz major, realized that I didn't want to try to make a living playing jazz guitar. Uh, and not that that's a bad living if someone out there listening is, is what they do. So were um, you, were you playing jazz as a, an 11 or 12 year old no, guitarist? No, I was playing rock and roll. So yeah, okay. heavy I, metal to be specific. Boom. Yeah. My man. It's yeah. your favorite heavy metal band. That's can't be answered. There's too many of them. 
But if I went away to a, a island with one record, okay, it would probably be a Led Zeppelin record. Okay. Which one? You're making this really tough. The best of the all, you know, the, well, the yeah. whole compilation. Okay. Yeah. No, I feel like that, that was a cop-out answer, but it was it a was good a totally one. Cop-out that that answer. should be everybody's answer, though, because <laughs> yeah. the best of is literally the best of. That would <laughs> yeah. be my answer. I don't think that Led Zeppelin's actually ever done a best of album, but I would, you know. You I'm could, sure somebody has produced one, though. Yeah. 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 I mean, why would you not? Um, all right. So today we wanted to have you on to talk a talk overview of audio technologies. Sure. Um, we're seeing a lot of customers today take the importance of, of a room that they may be designing for a meeting space and taking the importance and, and putting it towards more of the video side of the house. And um, we try to explain to them that it's every bit as important, if not more important, to ensure that your audio solution in a room that you're going to meet in is spectacular. So um, we thought it'd be great to have your expertise on, your history in sounds, um, to be able to kind of give us some of that feedback, ideas, things that people aren't really looking into these days and things that people need to look out for. Um, so I'd like to get started by one of the, one of the probably the biggest pieces of audio. We come into a space, let's say we come into this space, and a customer says to me, well, I want to have video conferencing, I want to have audio conferencing, I don't want the traditional phone on the table, and... Um, you know, blah, blah, blah. I want, I want all these things while they're sharing a display. And you come into the room, and as you're talking to them about the room, sound is just bouncing everywhere. <laughs> and it sounds like you're in a bathroom stall. Sure. Um, so we, we need to first touch upon acoustics and how important mm-hmm. that is. So tell us a little bit about, um, in your professional opinion, what people need to do acoustics-wise, what they need to look out for. What's that all about? Sure. So uh, as you mentioned, everyone wants to do video conferencing. And they just assume that audio, good audio, is a part of that. Um, obviously, if you can't hear what other people are saying, it doesn't matter how good they look. So uh, you're not having a conversation, right? Um, that well, wasn't I, against I, either of y'all because y'all look great today, <laughs> by the way. I've always <laughs> said, though. Thank you, uh, man. My hair, I'm having a good hair day today. <laughs> you, you are, actually. <laughs> I've, I've always said if the audio is perfect, people will let video slide quite a so. bit. Because if the audio is unintelligible, then, how, like you said, how good you look is, is of no consequence because you can't communicate anyway. Right. It looks great, but there's no message being delivered. So acoustics obviously have a big effect on not only the way microphones pick up sound in a room, but also the way we hear sound in a room as well. Um, so if you look at structure of a room different types of services. I know y'all know all these things, but, you know, for maybe some Yeah, we got to share everybody. Well, I appreciate, right. first of yeah. all, the compliment. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm saying you know that a, a glass wall is much more reflective than drywall, sure. for yeah. example, and right. that uh, a tile floor is much more reflective than carpet, mm-hmm. and that uh, an open exposed ceiling is much more reflective than a drop tile ceiling, right? Yep. So, and different types of tables can be more reflective or less reflective so when people look at their conference rooms, I mean, a lot of times, uh, or any type of room that they're using for, for meeting spaces, you know, they, they want it to be aesthetically awesome, right? And they, they pay a lot of money for it to be aesthetically awesome, you know? Right. And, uh, but you're right, with the acoustics of the room can actually diminish the usefulness of that room quite a bit, very quickly. And so that's something that people don't think about when they design the, the look of the room. And we deal with it all the time on the, mm. on the because it's an afterthought. All right, we've already designed this room. Robert, come look at this room. Okay, it's already done, almost, right? We're just now getting around to talk about putting in the, the AV equipment, right? Yep. Uh, you know, maybe the wall's already sealed up anyway. Um, you know, there are ways to enhance, improve acoustics in the room without diminishing the look of the room, right? So, of course, there are different types of sound um, absorption materials, um, you know, called acoustic treatment, right? Mm-hmm. Panels and, and things that can be put in the room. And there's some companies that make some ones that look pretty good too. You know? Right. Yeah. I mean, um, I've seen some and we've even installed some that are, that double as artwork. Right. Exactly. I was about to get to the artwork thing. So artwork can, can even help, you know, and where you place it. So there's some things that can be done to treat rooms and it's, it's really important. You know, even recommending to someone, if there's a room that's got two glass walls, one drywall and a pre-reflective table, and they were going to do tile on the floor. 
Maybe it. we can talk them into carpet, carpet. instead. Or, yeah. yeah, put a rug down. You know, maybe it, a bearskin rug or a lionskin rug or whatever's your style, <laughs> you know, yeah. but something on there. Because if you can even dampen one surface in the room, right. you're going to have a lot better results than no dampening on any surface, you know. The, the thing, too, that I, I've, I've noticed is the shape of the room has a has a fairly large impact uh, e- even if it's you know four walls that are drywall and carpet and uh, you know a fairly low drop tile ceiling um, those rooms are fairly dead ish mm-hmm. but if you say curve the back wall yeah. right right it doesn't matter it, it doesn't seem to matter what you do in the room at that point unless you deaden that wall specifically you're going to have some acoustic anomalies in that space. And I find those to be some of the most challenging. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. So I feel like uh, some some people have a misconception about if you're able to come into a room and you pick the greatest audio mixer, a.k.a. DSP, um, and you have the most proficient programmer of that DSP and the best microphone, and, and magic speakers. just happens. And you, you can just make magic happen. Yeah, but don't you have just like a filter that pulls out the acoustics <laughs> in the room? Yeah. Right? And there's just yeah, drop it's in called that... the extreme awesome filter. Yeah. And it's just yeah. you just a check mark box and right. you're good. Um so should they, come should come pre checked, right? <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, it comes out of the right. box pre checked. So I think that um it's very, very important for people to take acoustics into account. Absolutely. And and a good integrator along with sometimes the help of a manufacturer, or in this case, mm-hmm. a manufacturer's rep firm, um, can, can ensure that they are gathering the data to know, you know, what, what are we dealing with acoustic-wise in this, in this space? Right. I mean, ideally, every client that you work with would allow you to do some sort of measurement ahead of time. You know, RT30 right. analysis, you know, in performance venues, we do a lot of RT60 analysis, which is the, you know, the time it takes to the, the decay or reverberant sound to, you know, drop down 60 decibels. That's a measurement of it. You know, Cowboy Stadium, that's like 20 seconds, yeah. <laughs> you know, in there. And different rooms are different. But even in a conference room, I mean, if you can even get an RT20 or an RT30 on the room, that's pretty significant um, because then you can plan the right microphones, the right placement to maximize, you know, what we call critical distance, right? Which, um, am I jumping ahead? No, no, no. no, no. Yeah. I have a question when you're done. Okay. Well, you know, critical distance is the point at which a microphone can no longer pick up the sound level over the ambient Mm -hmm. noise in the room. And different microphones have different critical distances. If you know what that measurement of the room is, that helps choose the right microphone for the solution. You know, it's not always just about how the customer maybe wants, well, actually it is always about how the customer wants to use the room probably. Um, and, and, and do it. they don't want anything on the table or they do want something on the table or they want wireless or they don't want wireless, they don't want to drill the table. But, you know, having that room analysis ahead of time, you could cross some things off the list of as course. you're having that conversation. Say, you know, you've got a really reverberant room. I don't think ceiling mics are going to be a good option in here. And, and we have tools available to us or mm-hmm. any integrator should have a tool available to them to, to take these readings. And that's kind of what uh, my and, question yeah. was, was going to be. Uh, in, in your opinion, so occasionally I'll use uh, an iPhone app with a calibrated microphone to take some of these these readings and measurements. What's your opinion on that versus a specifically designed and built physical piece of measurement equipment uh, versus the mm. iPhone app, whether it be a hundred dollar app or a five hundred dollar app, and then you know a thousand or two thousand dollar calibrated microphone. Sure. Um, I think that the technology in the phones today has gotten really good and that you can probably get 80 to 90 percent the quality in some cases with an iPhone. The microphone array that they put in there is is good, you know, yeah. and uh, and the apps do a pretty good job. Uh, I was actually talking to a consultant a while back um, who uses a smart system, right, for analysis and performance venues mm-hmm. yeah. where you take measurements off of the console of what this uh, audio that's being outputted to the system is before it gets to the loudspeakers, and then you move high-quality reference microphones into different points in the venue to take different measurements of how the speaker system in the room are, are shaping the sound at that point. Right. And then they can look at those those comparisons and, and mix things together um, inside the system to kind of adjust for those deficiencies in the room or the system, right? Right. Um, 
he told me that in most cases, his iPhone app at the time would measure between one and a half to three decibels at most off of any specific frequency. And in some cases, it was exactly the same. And this is using the internal microphone on the iPhone? That's correct. Because I've always, in a pinch, I've done that. Mm -hmm. But in the cases where the room was going to be particularly tricky or we were going to do surround processing or mix minus systems, something more complicated than Mm -hmm. your, your typical distributed audio system i've always brought along a calibrated microphone that i purchased some number of years it works with your phone yeah Yeah. you just i mean you just plug it in to the Mm -hmm. to the lightning port on the phone and then there's a calibration process to check the mic or you can send it back to the company that i bought it from it's a iMic test i think is what it's called yeah i have one of those yeah actually and i had compared that particular microphone to my latest iPhone and there's no discernible difference at the frequency range in which I'm dealing with the voice intelligibility range. Right. Right. Exactly. So what I'm hearing you say is that there's really no excuse to not take those those measures. We all have them. I see, I see all of our phones sitting out here on the table. And Clayton is, is much more versed in this than I am. So that's why I kind of wanted his his opinion. And I'm not saying that the iPhone or the iPhone app or Android or calibrated mic replaces, you know, a properly calibrated piece of equipment. But for those of us in the conferencing space, we're, we're dealing with spoken word, not vocals, not multiple channels of... of, of, of right, not extreme low frequencies and high frequency reproduction uh, from symbols and those kind of... A, synthesizers exactly exactly. i I think we can get reasonably close to a very good outcome yeah even simply using a a modern phone and uh, a a well-designed app and 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 there are a ton of apps i was just about to say there are so many rta apps and decibel meters and and sound pressure they are not all the same they are not all the same there are (laughs) several apps are created equal (laughs) yeah but so I, I think that's probably if you were, and I didn't mean to get a you know sidetracked on a an app conversation, but you know if you're you're if you're looking for some, be be specific. You want um, multi-channel analysis. You want a, a wide frequency range, um, and graphing and recording of uh, availability in that app, rather than just a big number on a screen that says currently the room is at fifty-eight point three decibels. Uh, you know. So. That's yeah, useful not... if you're trying to measure HVAC noise or something, but beyond <laughs> yeah. that, yeah. Well, I'll, I'll use it for setting up DSPs. Like, I'll sit here, I'll sit my phone here with the mic where I'm at, where the microphone is mm-hmm. at, and if I've got a particularly noisy room due to environmentals, then I'll use, you know, I'll use uh, roll-off filters or something to, to edge that out, and I can check what that frequency of that noise is. That's right. And attempt to eliminate it, and that's how I'm most commonly using those functions. I think generally, though, you know, back to your point, yes, there are great measurement equipment and tools and reference microphones available out there. Um, And if you have those and you've bought them, that they work great. But there's really no excuse not to be doing measurements because of what we have available on our phones and the apps nowadays. And and I think, you know, it's good enough. I'm sure I'll get some emails on, sure. this, on this topic, sure. though. I just know <laughs> there's an audio file somewhere listening going, you guys are a bunch <laughs> of idiots, but it's fine. Well, I think what's important for people to understand that are, are listening um, and, and watching is that we're not expecting the customers to know this information. I mean, there's a lot no. of knowledge that has to go into understanding, okay, this room is sounds pretty decent acoustically, or according to our readings, it sounds okay, um, or to not. I mean... You, we're not expecting them to know that. What I expect is that, you know, us as Taurus Technologies or any other integrator out there is doing the due diligence for the customer. They're to having absolutely yeah, They're they're having a, a layman's term conversation about, you know, what should be done. We need to bring in an a, a acoustician to, you know, plan out and properly space acoustic panels or a ceiling tile selection or artwork or drapes or blinds. I mean, this room is a, is, is a good example of something that on using this microphone, which as Clayton alluded earlier, is fantastic. And we're all wearing headphones. Mm-hmm. 
this does not pick up a lot of ambient noise. So even though this room is fairly reflective, it is not reflected in the recording. Um, we will continue to improve the space here, but I don't know that there will be a large impact in the recording in the end, yeah. simply because of the microphone chosen. And I know that's one of our our, our, our topics here is you know, selecting the right microphone for the space. Yeah, or great segue. <laughs> right. Well, yeah. You know, ceiling mics versus table mics versus this giant thing that's in front of my face. <laughs> well, let's, I mean, let's roll into that. So um, acoustics, which we just covered, is obviously the first part. Right. Um, the, the next portions of our discussion are all hinged upon that, really. So microphone technology. Um Obviously, everyone knows that there's wired and there's wireless microphones, and there's the right microphone for the right setting. So I, I know this is a difficult question to answer, but... <laughs> Drum roll. Yeah, let's, <laughs> let's, uh, let's take a use case example, okay? Um, I'm going to outfit a 20-person uh, rectangular table conference room. Big boardroom. Let's, let's yep. uh, pretend for a second it, it's acoustically perfect. Okay, nice. Um, that's, Good job. That's, that's going a long way. Acoustically, ninety <laughs> yeah, percent right. perfect. That doesn't happen. So, um, but let's. We'll use give it, it an A rating on its type of intelligibility. <laughs> there you right. go. Okay, perfect. Um, when you're coming into a customer, how do you educate them in choosing the right microphone? Oh, that is a good question. It's going to have a long-winded answer, I think. And we're 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 so, we're listening. Yeah, with a bated breath. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, if it's an acoustically, in quotes, perfect space, or it's got a really good acoustic quality, not a lot of of ambience and reflected sound, um, that really opens up the choice of microphones quite a bit and becomes more of a use case scenario of, you know, how the user wants to experience the room, use the room, um, what they want to have in front of them or not in front of them. So in an environment like that, you know, you can use microphones at greater distances than a room that's bad acoustically, right? So if we're in an acoustically bad room, the ideal thing to do is to get the microphone as close to the source as possible, right? You were right. talking about this room earlier. This is kind of, kind of triggered it in my mind. So this is a broadcast microphone meant to pick up the human voice at a close distance. Because of the way it's designed, the directional nature of the microphone, the diaphragm, everything else, it really does a good job of rejecting all the ambience in the room. Right. And that's why they use it in broadcast. So, you know, in a really bad acoustic conference meeting space, ideally, maybe everyone would have a broadcast microphone in front of their face. But, you know, that's where you talk about maybe goosenecks are the are the best option, right? Because you can put a gooseneck straight up in, in, in front of the person's mouth or, or maybe a boundary, even if the acoustics are pretty good. You can move boundary table mics around. In a really good acoustic space, you have a lot more options. Why is it options. called a boundary Because it uses the boundary plane of a table or a surface to help its pickup of sound. So if you take that boundary mic and put it into free space, it does not have the same sound quality. Perfect. It simply couples with the, with the table. Okay. That's awesome. I love these. I, I learned a bunch of stuff yesterday. <laughs> Oh, yeah. I, I, Hopefully a few people are just like, well, crap, I didn't know that that's what it was for. <laughs> I mean... I, I may have just made that up. I mean, I'm just saying. No, it makes right, complete no, sense. I'm, and and I, know the, I know the pickup properties of a boundary microphone change once you remove them from the surface that they're sitting right. on. So if somebody... And I've seen it happen. Somebody will... And I'll, I'll use my phone as an example. Pick up a boundary microphone and go, hey, over here, blah, blah, blah. You know, it, it doesn't... It doesn't work the same. It's not a handheld microphone. I, so I know that it uses the acoustics of the flat surface it's on, but I never really considered the yeah, name. Early boundary mics were actually designed to pick up sound for, like, recordings. So most of them were mounted against walls. Mm -hmm. um, they put them in tops of pianos, close the lid, that kind of thing, and then that technology evolved into a conferencing mic. It makes a great conferencing mic, given that the acoustics are good yeah. and that you can get people to use them close enough to them to pick up right. and they don't pick it up and slide it all the way down the table and wonder why the microphone doesn't work anymore and they don't cover it up with a lot of stuff laptops tablets papers um, so let me ask you a question and i'm gonna i know the answer already okay okay <laughs> so, so i can't make it's, the, it's not i can't make the answer up this time right <laughs> customer asks me 
let's go back to the example I was using of the mm-hmm. 20 person conference room. Um, go into this space and let's again, pretend it's acoustically treated customer asked me, what's the perfect microphone for this? Is there a perfect microphone for a, well, space? I think you're using it because <laughs> uh, when Clayton, well, uh, uh, sorry. No, no, yeah, that's exactly well, what Clay, I was. Clay, when Clayton and I were talking before we got started, he was like, "Man, it would be awesome if we could just put these these broadcast microphones in front of everybody's face on a conference call ever. How amazing would that be?" That's exactly my point. So <laughs> maybe his answer is the SM7B. <laughs> so what I'm wanting out of you is to say that there's almost no perfect microphone. I was. Right. Go ahead. Going. I'm sorry. There, there is, <laughs> there are a lot of options. Yes. Um, some are going to perform better than others. The the example of the acoustically perfect room, though, the holy grail of conference room <laughs> physics and acoustics, you know, that doesn't happen every day. But when it does, that really does open up a lot of good options. Technology has gotten vastly better with microphones, just even in the last five, right. seven years, with the you know uh, microphone arrays and the beam forming microphones and the all the stuff that we're doing with the DSP and microphones now in our industry, um, which, you know, really we're kind of years behind because if you think about it, hearing aids use microphone arrays, mm-hmm. yep. right? And, um, you know, they've been using those for a long time. It's like we're just now catching up to other industries. But anyway, you have a lot more options available to you, and you can really begin to have the conversation with the client about how do you want to use your room? Yes. You know, do you want to do a ceiling mic? We can do that in this room. Um, you may need more than one because you still need to maintain critical distance mm-hmm. with that product. Um, or maybe you want some stuff on the table. We can put out table mics. You want to drill your table. You know, you have a lot more options in that type of the room. However, if I had to pick the best microphone in any situation, I will go on record as saying you just want to get the microphone as close to the person as possible. There you go. No matter what the acoustics are. It is always going to sound better. Yeah, I mean, you can't uh, a beat physics. A gooseneck microphone, an SM7B, a handheld microphone in a perfect room or a non-perfect room, that is always going to be the best case. However, it's usually not conducive to the way people always want to use their room. It's about finding the the closest thing to that that still allows That's them right. to be as productive and use the space as the way they want it to. Right. And, and I think, and you probably guys do this a lot too, you have to also temper expectations with the customer when they don't choose to have a microphone right in front yeah. of their face. Well, and, and you're, you know? you, I mean, you're familiar with our offices here. Mm-hmm. We have this microphone. We've got a ceiling microphone by Sure. We've got a ceiling microphone by Biamp. We've got a ceiling microphone that is probably a bit outdated now, but by Polycom. Mm-hmm. We've got table microphones by Sure. We've got table microphones by Cisco. We've got any Man, the number. The goes on. Yeah. And, and, and it's not uncommon for for one of our account managers or myself or an engineer to put together a comparison for an end user. And oftentimes they're like, well, we'll come out to your office and check it out. I'm like, nope, stay right at your right. desk. We'll call you. I'll send you a meeting invite, and I'm going to switch between a couple of different options for you, and I want you to hear them. I want you to hear my voice and maybe an account manager's voice or somebody else from our staff at a, an appropriate distance from each one of these microphones. This is not a trick. I just want you to hear the difference, even between two ceiling microphones in similar environments. I mean, we have in our Mavericks conference room two different ceiling microphones in the same ceiling, mm-hmm. not to mention the table microphones. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes people are uh, shocked at the difference between them, and I don't mean volume level. I mean uh, clarity or range. So uh, I know that manufacturers offer these kind of comparisons on their websites. You play a video, and but it's not a it's not a not real world. It's not enough. real world. Yeah. I mean, it, I, I'm I'm certain that the manufacturer does the best they can do to make it feel real world, but you're not you're not you're not having a conversation. You're not. I think it's fantastic, by the way, that you do that for your customers, and y'all have invested in putting that technology into your spaces, because you're not just, you know, you're helping them make the best decision. You're also educating them on what types, 
of microphones and how they sound and what the use cases are. Um, so I, anyway, I just want to throw that out there. I Thank think that's yeah, great that y'all do that. And uh, I would be curious to to hear some of the responses. Sometimes it's probably got to be pretty dramatic from from certain. It, you know, uh, uh, honestly, it usually revolves around trying to sell somebody a wireless table mic option when they want a ceiling mic option. And that's, for me anyway, I, I don't mean to speak for Robert, but that's the most common comparison that I do is, okay, now I'm talking to you through a table microphone. And usually it's, oh, wow, that's significantly mm -hmm. better. And by better, I mean easier to understand you. Because uh, typically we're trying to get several people in the room having sidebar conversations and moving papers. And, you know, those things all have an impact on... Uh, the conversation. And if you've ever been in a conference call where somebody's typing or mouse clicking or shuffling papers, I think we've all been in several of those. Yeah. It's Can you it, mute, please? Will yeah, you please yeah. mute? Exactly. And if it goes on for minutes and hours and it it's exhausting. It like, is for me it's makes your brain work mentally a lot exhausting yeah. to try to sort out the noise from the conversation. Mm-hmm. Same thing with poor audio quality. If if the microphones aren't doing a good job or the system's not set up correctly or acoustics are bad, it, it's a strain on our brains to try to focus yeah. um, on hearing what's being said. So how, Robert, how, if you had to venture a guess, when we install these conferencing systems for these uh, giant organizations, mm -hmm. how much money do we save them in productivity simply because we're not mentally wearing these folks out after the end of a meeting. And as you know, a lot of them have tons and tons of meeting spaces and the same people are in two and three and four meetings a day, even if they're 30 or 40 minutes a piece. That's a difficult <laughs> question to answer. It's, it's probably just unquantifiable, as as right? I asked earlier. Um, I mean, so you put him on the spot. I had to find people, some. <laughs> people naturally get engaged more, even at a subconscious level. And I see it. I can. I literally see it in a space that um, maybe it's a space here or maybe it's a space that we've outfitted where people are not messing around with their phone or they're not trying to multitask or typing like you mentioned because it's such an immersive experience for audio. And it's not just um, for what you're sending them, you know, microphones that we've been talking about, but now it's a segue into the next portion of our conversation. It's about what you're hearing in the room. So I want to talk about speaker technology. And we're doing a good job at Segways today. Yeah, we are. Yeah, I just kind of got lucky there, honestly. Had a, a <laughs> cheat sheet, a roadmap here. What are you uh, talking about? <laughs> so we've, we've already touched upon acoustics. We touched upon microphones. And already, just circling back real quick to the beginning of our conversation, so many customers take the emphasis on the video part. Just through the few minutes that we've been talking about microphones and acoustics, there are more options and there's more thought process and knowledge that goes into audio already. We haven't even talked about speakers. That's right. We've only got the then, front half of it. Yeah. I mean, I ask you about a half a dozen qualifying questions to understand the display technology. And then I, I, I then understand what size we need. Right. What's the maximum viewing distance from the furthest participant? And, you know, hey, after about a minute, Two minutes, I've got that. But we've already discerned that you can't do that with audio. So no, speaker right. coverage, types of speakers. Um, those measurements that we talked about in the in the beginning portion, the acoustics, the microphones, the speakers. Talk to us about customers choosing the right speaker, not just from a looks perspective, but how they pick out what is great for them. Sure. So, um, you know, I think probably y'all see this a lot too, um, and we even see this with microphones. Real quick, go back to this. You know, you're talking about trying to sell people the wireless microphone option. Well, people will ask for wireless, right? Go, oh, we want a wireless microphone. How much does it cost? <laughs> well, so there's some magic happening, but there's no wires, right? Yeah. Uh, and, and I think that loudspeakers selection, especially in meeting spaces, might be one of the most compromised things that I, I've seen. And, and I think it's because at the end of the day, they look, they're looking at the dollar value and they're like, well, why are we buying $180 ceiling speakers? You know, I've got this pair of powered speakers that I got from Best Buy. $59.99. $59.99. <laughs> I mean, can't we just have something like that in the room? 
you know, and we, now we've spent, God, Robert, the display looks great. We're out of money, you know, where can we save some money? And I think it, the, the audio system is one place that typically happens. And so when you're looking at loudspeaker technology, you know, if we use the room of the, or the example of the uh, acoustically perfect holy grail of yeah. a meeting room that we've been talking about, you have more leeway in the types of speakers that you can put in there and the frequency response of those speakers. Um, you want to make sure that they do an adequate job of reproducing the entire range of the human voice. And that's the definition of frequency response. Let's educate our users. Sure. Okay. Yeah, good Good point. So frequency response in a loudspeaker is a measurement of all the frequencies from 20 hertz to 20,000 hertz, right? The range of human hearing. Okay. And how those speakers reproduce sound at those frequencies. Because, well, there are perfect speakers, and you can go buy a very expensive pair of Genelec studio monitors that will be pr pretty flat in response. And when I say flat, it means that the amplitude at just about every frequency is the same all the way across. Okay. Well, in a recording studio or a broadcast studio, you want that because you're trying to capture sound and mix sound and, and reproduce that, right? Don't necessarily need that in a conference room space because the range of the range of, of human voice or the frequencies that we speak is not from 20 hertz to 20,000 hertz. Now, there might be a few people that have some really low voices, you know, the Barry Whites of the world and stuff, but even they don't go all the way down. But you want to find um, speakers that reproduce that range adequately. And the way that a loudspeaker is designed, there are certain characteristics of the that will cause deficiencies, particularly in some certain areas. You may hear it more on a female voice, for example, or more on a male voice. Um, but let's just face it, if you decide that you're going to go with $59.99 Best Buy powered speakers for your conference room, you probably are going to suffer some hearing of what you're trying to get, the content from other people speaking to you. Um, and there are lots of speakers out there that reproduce the range of, of human voice very adequately. And the other thing that to look at um, is the dispersion pattern of a speaker too, right? That determines how many you put in the yeah. room, right? Well, you can look at dispersion pattern of the manufacturer puts on a ceiling speaker and they'll say oh it's a 120 degrees conical right but you still need to go look at the frequency response because not all the frequencies that we're trying to get may actually reproduce within that 120 yeah. degree area that's a really you good no that's a really good point that just glancing at a spec sheet is often missed mm -hmm. missed you that's right you you look at the bullet points frequency response um size of the woofer, wattage, and its dispersion pattern, and then you, you kind of just move on Yeah, for the most part. Or you use somebody's calculator, and you're just kind of just looking at coverage only, mm -hmm. which is detrimental. That's right. But a lot of speakers, and particularly ones that aren't made as well, you know, as you get outside of the primary coverage areas, you start getting towards the ends, and you've probably heard this, you'll hear the mid-range frequencies or high frequencies attenuate mm -hmm. quicker than the low frequencies, or you'll you'll start to hear some anomalies in that. Right. If you move back more directly underneath, this being a ceiling speaker example, you'll hear more full range frequency. But as you get out to the edges, you'll start to hear some gaps. That's kind of actually important, right? Um, so if we used a a very inexpensive ceiling speaker, um, and you know the mid range drops off before the low frequencies do. If you're putting them in a conference room, it sounds great, Robert, you're sitting right under the ceiling speaker. You know, I'm six feet this way, and I'm having trouble hearing yeah. some of the frequencies of a female voice, maybe, or, or higher parts of a male which voice. Which disengages you. Which disengages me, and I'm going to play on my phone, right? Yeah. yeah. Or um, you, you, or fatigue starts to set in. Same, same with mm -hmm. what we were talking about earlier. Yeah. But in, in general, I mean, you know, you need to use an adequate number of loudspeakers positioned correctly. Why do they call them loudspeakers? Because they get loud? You no, know, I guess so. That's a really good question. I don't know. <laughs> you know, actually, they're transducers, right? That's what they really are. Yeah. Um, so where are the loudspeaker? We'll have to Google that. Okay. I don't know, man. We'll Google it. Yeah. We'll I, had the, it I knew the boundary mic answer. <laughs> I had that one. Um, you didn't know there was going to be a test. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Uh, I think another point that we, we want to kind of cover for a second is speakers just like microphones can be an aesthetic part of a customer's decision true and there there can be a balance and sometimes 
a great looking speaker or how it's installed in the ceiling or its format size can come hand in hand with its its audio output ability. Absolutely. Um, so customers need to know or viewers need to know that that there are selections that we can help them with or any good integrator can help them with that can meet the needs of both of those. Right. Um, but ultimately, you shouldn't make sacrifices if you're really wanting to keep engagement in a conference room when you're on audio calls, when you're playing a video for training purposes, when you're on a video call, and any number of reasons Absolutely. why you're in a meeting space, using it for technology. Um, so let's move on to the, I can't really call it the final piece of the puzzle, but <laughs> let's, let's say for this argument's sake it is. Um, we've talked about acoustics, we've talked about microphones, we talked about speakers, and the pieces behind the scenes. Amplification, yeah, you're, yeah, you're, your you're, audio mixing. Um, DSP is a an acronym that we hear a lot. It means digital signal processor. Um, so tell us about the thought process that comes into selecting those, what people need to be thinking about, and maybe a, a few different types out there. Sure. So uh, obviously these are the invisible parts yeah. of the system, right? Um, the, the ones in a rack, the right. hidden you in mean, the ceiling. You know, sometimes. and y'all see this too. When when a client says the room is broken, they're usually talking about their control interface, whether it be a touch panel or something on the wall or the microphone or maybe the speaker or the display, because that's all they know. That's there, right? There's all this other yeah. stuff happening. Um, and and DSP and amplifiers are obviously very critical. You know, we talk about. Just real quick on amplifiers, I mean, those have frequency responses as well, too. Not all amplifiers are created equal. Right. So once again, customers going through this final bill of materials, mm -hmm. so you've quoted them, and they're like, I don't know. I mean, why are we paying $900 for a power amplifier to do these speakers? I don't, I can't, you know, I bought one at Fry's Electronics or whatever, yeah. you know. <laughs> Um, from my and home. it does HDMI switching yeah. and oh, I mean, audio yeah. de-embedding, yeah. so and it's it, got it, 10 inputs. Yeah, it, it's important you know, um, to, to look at the audio response and make sure that you're obviously matching the right wattage the speakers are using and all those kind of things that, that we all do in the industry. You do it for your customer. They probably don't even know that you. that's one thing you do for them. Yeah. You know, they select speakers. and That's you, one of those, uh, it just, okay, we yeah. have to have that line item uh, yeah. approach by customers. Rarely right. do we get an argument over... Amplifier yeah. selection outside of price. Yeah, that's yeah, it. but it's not. We want you to use this brand and this make and model because it has this particular. It's Energy Star compliant, yeah. and it goes to sleep, and it'll ramp up within you know three milliseconds of hearing, you know, detecting an audio signal. Yeah, it's yeah, got a bicolor yeah. LED screen. <laughs> UL, yeah, whatever listed. Yeah, <laughs> I think um, we could keep going. So with that. yeah, the, but you know, DSP is obviously much more expansive topic because there are so many varieties of digital signal processing in our industry. Um, you know, you've got standalone audio DSP units that that's all they do. Um, some can handle you know, hundreds of channels of audio. Some are designed to handle just a few channels of audio, you know, eight by four, 12 by eight. By the way, this reminds me, I was listening to the podcast y'all did the very first one and you uh -oh. were talking about, that's right the video world and how everything comes in fours and eights. Do y'all remember this conversation? Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. And y'all came to a conclusion, I believe, right? <laughs> Remind I mean, me. Somebody just it's, sat around in a room one day and said, oh, you know what? Let's just add another yeah. one to it. I'm going to throw out a, a hypothesis okay. on this one. Um, I believe in our industry everything runs in twos and fours and eights and sixteens and multiples of basically two, right? Yeah. Because it comes from audio, Right. So originally everything was a stereo recording. Well, I know part tracks. of the reason why it happens in the audio world. Uh, sure. Okay. So originally two tracks. Sure. I mean, everything was a stereo recording. Yeah. Yeah. Multi-track okay. recording and, and mixing was introduced. The, the earliest ones were four track and then they had eight track and they started doubling. It was like an arms race between manufacturers and technology. And I think it all came from there. So mixing so consoles and live consoles <laughs> followed the number of channels or tracks available in a recording. You know, we went from having, you know, small mixers to four-channel yeah. mixers to eight, and then I just all That's kept completely plausible. Yeah, it is. It's it just is. a hypothesis. I'm, I don't I'm know sure that somebody true. that is listening, listening and or watching is going to tear me up back and be like, no, maybe they're, maybe they're in the video realm of our pro-AV world. No, are you kidding me, Clayton? 
if you look at the audio world, everything is in multiples of two, right? Yeah. There's never an odd number thing. It's always an even number. And typically it's in multiples of four or eight, is right? This is a 16 by eight digital signal processor. This is a eight by eight, a 12 by eight with mm -hmm. eight channels of AEC or acoustic echo cancellation, whatever it is. It's always in those multiples. Well, then we don't have a note here to discuss this, but <laughs> we're going off topic. We we're, can. We're going off, off the rails. Road. We're going off These the rails the here. portions of the conversation. AVB and Dante audio and limitations from a channel perspective based on chipset, I assume, right? Chipset and network bandwidth. Uh, network bandwidth, we'll, we'll pretend that that's not an issue. Okay, okay let's pause for a second mm -hmm. just for, for our listeners. Explain... Dante briefly and explain AVB briefly. Sure. What is that? Only from what an audio those, perspective. What do those words point? mean? Okay. So those are two different protocols in our industry for audio over the network or what we call audio over IP. That's kind of the, the slang term, right? Or I guess official acronym, AO, AOIP. Right. And these are two different protocols that are out there that are pretty common. We'll start with Dante, which people throw that word around quite a bit. Um, it was a, Dante was like a, there's a book about that or artwork or something, yeah. right? Yeah. From the 151400 oh, yeah. or something, right? Anyway, interesting 15, 1547 15, specifically. Okay. Very good. I'm totally <laughs> BSing. Just to be clear, <laughs> don't call me out. Hold so, on. Hold on. Uh, so I, I don't want to spend a ton of time on the Dante conversation. I, I want to touch on it briefly because I think in a follow-up podcast. Yeah. I want to have AVB's champion Michael Hooper on, and I want to have you back, a and I want to have a versus, <laughs> and I want to have a I want to have a forty five minute conversation on just audio over the network. I think that's a good idea because because we're we're gonna spend like two or three minutes on yeah. this topic, and we're not gonna do it justice. And we had a whole I think it was fifty eight minutes on uh, video over the network. Yeah. I listened to part of that podcast. Mm -hmm. And and I, I think while we have not, you and I have not discussed this, and this is literally just off the cuff, we've got to have that conversation. Yeah, I think it's a good conversation. So let's go real quickly back to what they are. Uh, Dante is a protocol that's developed by a company called Audinate, um, and they license that technology to other manufacturers through chipsets primarily, although there's some new developments Coming soon, sometime in Orlando, very oh. near, they're going to change the conversation about Dante only being available on a chipset. But anyway, it's it's essentially sold or licensed to manufacturers. Any manufacturers can choose to get in the platform. Um, some of the advantages people talk about with it is the discovery and interoperability between multiple manufacturers' product. And that is why Dante, currently, there are more manufacturers doing that. It's been easier to set up. It actually kind of came into our world through the live production world. The earliest devices were some of the Shure microphones that have Dante yep. on them, Yamaha mixing consoles and digital snakes. You know, I used to do live sound. We used to haul around trunks full of copper, you know, and it's heavy and a pain, right, to put it easy. The days now that you can run single Cat 5 lines from a mixing console to the stage rack is a beautiful thing. And know? it's <laughs> and it's hundreds of channels of audio. That's right. Over yeah. 512 by 512 if you want to. Right. Uh, you, you can support that. So Dante's really taken off. There's over 300 manufacturers doing that's That's what Dante is. It's very commonplace. Um, AVB um, is different because it's a protocol um, that was developed by an alliance, which was a group of manufacturers, right. and it is actually not licensed. I mean, anyone can can play with the AVB right. protocol um, by getting a part of the alliance and building products that are compliant to AVB. Um, and there's advantages and disadvantages to both. We won't get into all that. We'll save that for another conversation. <laughs> you know, I think for the end user, right, if we go back to the client and we're talking about digital signal processors, and I think I know where you're going with this, some digital signal processors communicate using AVB. Some communicate to each other over the network using Dante. There's other protocols as well. To them, that doesn't really matter, right? I mean, yeah. you probably don't ever have a customer say, oh, it's got to be Dante. Um, what matters to them is that when the system turns off intentionally or accidentally, does it all come back up on the network? Does everything right. just work? That's what they want, right? Yeah. And so, you know, both those protocols are, are solid and reliable. So it's more about, I think, probably how y'all choose which DSP fits the bill for the room. For us, really, and, you know, it, it 
it comes down to what microphone fits the room the best. That's almost the the starting point. And then the whole chain. Right. And, and, And if this is the best microphone, how does that microphone communicate to the DSP? Is it traditional copper? Is it AVB? Is it Dante? And then the DSP is chosen. The amplifier is chosen. Well, the speakers are chosen for the space. And then we choose an amplifier and we pair that together with, with a and, DSP. And when choosing DSP, you have to, the first thing you say is how many microphones are there? What types of microphones and how many do we need? What other sources do we have? And you kind of come up with your input count, right? And choose an appropriate yeah. DSP for it. Um, some DSPs have more configurability than others, right? So if you know you're going into an acoustically challenging room, you're going to want an open architecture DSP, right? Where you can do more. Yeah. And some DSPs are much more locked down in there and you only have so much manipulation available in them. Um, so I'm sure that that plays into the conversation as well when you're choosing them. Um, and, and I'd love to have a more in-depth DSP conversation whole, yeah. in the future too. Whole podcast on that alone, I would think. Well, just you know, the available options out there and, and what's coming maybe post infocom, you can come back and tell us what your, uh, what your partners are, are releasing as sort of a, an infocom follow-up. Actually no, in about seven minutes when we start this conference call, I'll have to get on. <laughs> so <laughs> right, um, right now it's unknown, but yes, we should come back and do a more on. Yeah. On we'd DSP. love to cover Perfect. Cover more DSP conversation. Cover a couple of the things we didn't have the time to get to today. Um, but I want to say thank you. Your professionalism and the knowledge that you've had in the industry is very, very valuable. And I think it's important for customers to understand. The whole point of this podcast is to make sure that uh, that people know that audio is a very, very big part of every meeting space that you're in. Unless you're just going to go in there and look at a static map all the time. Make sure that you're talking to someone about audio. Make sure that uh, they're taking these readings, they're understanding acoustics, they're talking to you about right microphones and right speakers. Um, and if they're not, you should give me a call. Well, and, and, right. un- and understand that, you know, while the people, our end users, our customers, don't necessarily know Clayton's face, we're partnering with guys like Clayton and various other people in the industry to make sure that, you know, they're keeping our toes pointed forward, that we're, we're not making mistakes because uh, we're certainly not infallible. So we, you know, we, we, we enlist as many professionals in the industry as we can get Clayton being one of those. Absolutely. Well, thanks for having me on. I've enjoyed it. Um, I keep thinking of things to go back and add oh, to, yeah. to some of these things. We could make done. them two I hours. Know, we, could. <laughs> we, we could talk about this stuff forever. Yeah. The be all DSP kind of opened a Pandora's box in my oh, head yeah, there, yeah. but uh, you're right. We'll, we can save that for another piece. I, I appreciate the opportunity to work with a company like Taurus. And I think it is important for uh, people listening and, and your clients to know that you guys are working closely with your vendors, just like they're working closely with, with you um, to achieve the best results, you know, in the meeting spaces. So, um, awesome. And thanks everyone else to uh, for listening. We really appreciate it. If you want to hear more about this topic or some other audio topics or any other topic, please email us at info at uh, For myself, for Clayton, and for Corey, thank you for listening. <laughs>